This is Talkin' Mule Deer with your hosts, Steve Belinda and Jody Stemmler. Talkin' Mule Deer takes you on a journey to learn more about the Mule Deer Foundation, Mule Deer and Black-Tailed Deer Biology and Management, tips and tactics for hunting, conservation issues, and even features some of our corporate and celebrity partners. Now, let's start talking Mule Deer. Hey, this is Jody Stemmler. And I'm Steve Belinda, and welcome back to Talkin' Mule Deer. Uh, so, Jody, it's been a while. It's been a year, in fact. Um, yes, we uh, we've we've been running and gunning here at the Mule Deer Foundation. So it's actually been really hard for us all to sit down and and have some conversations. So we've been missing out on our talking mule deer podcasts. Yeah. So to all your listeners, hopefully your faithful listeners, um, you know, we used to have the song "What." And, and it's all in the wait, the anticipation, you know, hopefully we can live up to that, but, uh, we didn't want to neglect our listeners. Uh, we think this is a great audience, but we did get uh, super busy last year. And unfortunately with some staffing changes and everything going on, this was one of the things that fell off the docket, but I think we got our feet back underneath us and, and we can get back into regular podcasting again, because there's so much going on. And so yeah, many that, great things happening for mule deer that we need to get the word out. Yeah, it's an understatement, Steve. There's there's definitely been a lot going on. And so we've got the best uh, person to help us speak to whatever has been going on recently. Uh, Joel Peterson, president and CEO. Joel, welcome back to Talking Mule Deer. Hey, Jody and Steve. It's good to see, see y'all, hear y'all, and it's good to be back here. I look forward to having a good conversation today. So, Joel, you just passed, what, the two-year mile marker mark, right? So yep. you've got, you got uh, you know, 500-plus days under your belt, 600, so, you know. But who's counting, um, right? <laughs> Apparently you how are. Many, how many minutes? <laughs> <laughs> well, he, we're not hearing all about turkeys anymore, Jody, so I guess we, we've cured him of that. So that's uh, he actually went the other way in a meeting the other day. It was like, wow. He was I trying did. to reference turkeys, and he kept saying MDF, so. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 a big accomplishment for sure. It was well, you know, you there, spent so. a long time there, and and now again, you're getting your feet under your under you here at the Mule Deer Foundation. So, we had a lot going on in 2022, and so we can't tell people that we were so busy and therefore couldn't do podcast without kind of telling people all the stuff that's been going on. It's Joel, Steve, why don't you give a recap of some of the things that we've been doing, some of the accomplishments? Yeah, it's kind of almost where the heck do we start with all of this? Because we have had a whole lot of stuff going on. Um, yeah, like I said, it's a little, <laughs> little hard to even know where to start. Well, he's drawn his third Montana mule deer tag in a row this year. So, uh, you know, that's a good place to good. start. Yeah, that, so yeah, it is. <laughs> So one of the things that really was a highlight of the year last year was the amount of work that we got done. And um, when you look at all the projects over the last three years, 334 projects uh, over a three year period, which included COVID. And, and when you add all those numbers up, um, I think it's what, 76 million that we total conservation impact to to uh to habitat out there and, and, you know, 392,000 acres benefited and, you know, lots of chapter events. And, you know, I, it just, it's amazing what we're getting done with such a small staff. And I think that's reflective of, you know, us really focusing on what matters most, which is habitat, the people, and, you know, those things that we can do to help the mule deer managers and the landowners and everything else out. So, you know, those numbers are tremendous. Um, and I think, you know, given what we'll talk about here in a bit, they're only going to continue to grow. Yeah, there, there is no doubt. Uh, it's been a tremendous three years. We capped it off with a good year last year as well. Uh, and Steve, I agree with you. I think we're just getting started. But the exciting thing is that uh, I think people are buying into the vision of this organization and how we want to put work on the ground to do the right work in the right place. Um we are growing our staff. That's part of what's been going on. So it's going to help us to not only put that work on the ground, but tell that story better uh, as well, which I'm really excited about. I think we'll touch on that a little bit here uh, coming up in the next little bit. Uh, and the volunteers are super excited about where we're headed. Lots of engagement are uh, not only have we done a lot of good work on the mission delivery side, but on the fundraising side, that staff's been really hard at it. Our volunteers have been really engaged and uh, we've just had a gangbuster year again this year uh, on top of the great year we had last year in that regard. So people are passionate about the work that we're doing. 
you know, when I look at when we spend a dollar, um, we're leveraging it six to one on average across the board, regardless of how that funding was raised and how we spend it. And I think when you look at 80, 89% of every dollar going back on the ground for mission delivery, you know, it, it really is reflective in that the impact that MDFs have and, and, you know, the vision and leadership that you're providing. And, you know, we've said we've got to tell our story better. So hopefully this year we can use this forum along with everything else in Jody's world to tell our story better. But two things happened last year that were super exciting for me. Um, Blacktail deer have been part of our mission since 1988, but they really have never been given the due um, deservedly from an organization that has them in their mission statement. So um, we held two Blacktail deer summits last year. One, um, one that we hosted with Leopold in Oregon in April, I believe it was. And then one that was, was held in Alaska in October that we were a big part of. And so we are well on our way to uh, breathe a lot more life into our efforts on black-tailed deer. And Joel, why don't you just fill us in on a little bit of the highlights of, of what happened with uh, Leupold out in Oregon, because I know you spent a lot of time with uh, the president of Leupold and a lot of the partners there. Yeah, I'm happy to do that, Steve. So um, Bruce Pettit, the CEO of Leupold, and I have become uh, friends over the last couple of years, as it often does in our space. Uh, that started in Hunt Camp uh, about a year and a half ago now. Uh, we talked about you know just common conservation vision and goals, and Leupold being out there uh, just south of Portland, Oregon, is right there in the heart of Blacktail Deer Country. And as Bruce shared with me, uh, the people that work there are really passionate about Blacktail Deer, and he recognized, like we did, that they've not gotten the attention that they deserve, and really challenged us to challenge the MDF to figure out what we could do, uh, and wanted to be a big partner of that. So, like you said, back in April, Newport graciously hosted a summit at their facilities there in in Oregon, and we brought in the the black-tailed deer experts from across the range from California all the way up to Southeast Alaska. And we just kind of had a, a state of the deer, if you will, is what's going on, what, what we know, what we don't know, uh, what the common challenges are, et cetera. Um, spent a little bit of time out in the field, looking at the issues out there, learned, uh, I think one of the highlights for a lot of people was watching the dogs out there, uh, tracking down the scat so that they could uh, demonstrate to us how Oregon does their population counts for black-tailed deer in that habitat where it's really hard to see what's going on. And so I think it was a great kickoff to get us thinking about it and re-engage the, the community out there. Yeah. And, and Jody, if you're not familiar, they've got these uh, dogs that key in on scat and, you know, black-tailed deer country is rainforest. It is dense. Yeah. So it's you can't count them from the air. No. You know, you see them from roads, you see them out hunting, but it's really hard to get population estimates. So they're using this technique where they're using scent finding dog or scat finding dogs who uh, find the scat, they collect it, they send it in. And then the advancement in genetics allows them to take the individual markers from that scat and recreate population uh, demographic information, buck to does, fawns per does deer per acre. And, and, you know, they then compare that to the traditional model that they use uh, with their accounts and with their check station information and everything else. And it really gives a feel to answer some of those questions that hunters ask, where are all the deer? Because when, when that stuff starts to grow up and you get so thick, you can't walk through it, you know, people think the deer aren't there, but what they're finding is there actually are more deer there than the hunters are seeing. They just can't see them and they can't get to them. And so, you know, you, and then you get into a, a, a habitat phase called stem exclusion where there's just no light hitting the ground. And so there's no deer chow. And so when you look at black tailed deer, it's no different than what we've been learning on mule deer is they use the landscape, they move there in some places, there are in other places, you know, you know, that everyone thinks it might be predators or over hunting, but in a lot of cases, um, there's the same number of deer on the landscapes. We just altered it so much that they're not accessible and countable. So, the, so the deer stuff, the, the dog stuff is really exciting, particularly if you can recreate a little bit more accurate population estimates and demographic estimates. 
Now the hunters may not like that. <laughs> they, you know, they, I think what well, Joel, they said there was one unit, they said there were 17 bucks per hundred does from the hunter harvest surveys. And then the scat surveys, it was like 40 plus bucks per hundred does and they could, and they can tell individual animals. Um, and so, you know, they may question the state agencies, but from a management perspective, it's awesome. And I think from what we do from a habitat perspective, it really does give us the guidance to where we need to go in and do more habitat work to create more, you know, functional deer habitat. It's going to result in more deer on the landscape. Even if we don't see them, we we're going to know they're there. Well, I think that stem exclusion, um, the habitat in, in the uh, rainforest in Alaska was a big issue as well for Sitka black-tailed deer as well, right? So isn't that part of what you all are, are putting together with Jim Bachtel, um helping out now as a regional director and also a habitat person working for MDF? Yeah, so we, we went to a deer summit that was hosted by a bunch of folks in Southeast Alaska in Unit 2 uh, down on Prince of Wales Island, the Nature Conservancy, the state of Alaska, the Forest Service. We joined as a sponsor late. We went up and it was intended for the folks that that live and hunt on Prince of Wales Island. And there was 50 to 60 folks there. And a lot of folks were blaming the deer decline on wolves. And you can see the declines when you look at the graphs and and they only chart their population through harvest data. You can see drastic drop and somewhere between 2015 and 18, something happened. Um, and a lot of folks wanted to blame it on wolves. And But when you look at the habitat issues, the amount of acres that are coming into that stem exclusion phase every year, and that much habitat that's not available and not productive, um, I think you can't discount it either. And and one of the things we did is, is we said we want to start doing more habitat work because, you know, that's the basis for great populations. And over the course of two days, there was a lot of discussion. And, you know, there were folks at the end that still thought it was just a wolf-bear issue. But others were beginning to see that that habitat may be contributing to that. You know, the other thing is, is some of the drought and El Nino uh, effects of, of weather on that. But, you know, at the end of the day, there's there's 400,000 plus acres that are, are in a stage that don't provide a whole lot of value other than some hiding cover for deer. And you just can't have that for healthy populations. And the unique thing about Alaska is you get a lot of subsistence hunting. So people actually need that deer to live and they actually get preference. And so what you're seeing now is a, a in some units emerging fight between the subsistence hunters and the sport hunters. And we don't need that in our business. But, you know, looking at um, what we can do about it, you know, we just had Joel up to Alaska last week for the first time. He got this get boots on the ground. We held a bunch of events, raised some funding. Uh, we're dedicating the funding that we raised in Alaska to stay in Alaska. You know, we're, we just got a whole bunch of extra funding from the Forest Service. It really... I think we've got a lot to bring to the table to help the deer where they need it the most. And, you know, even out on Kodiak Island, uh, folks, uh, we did an event out there and they're super excited about MDS involvement and, you know, not sure what we can do out there, you know. Um, but, you know, what we're finding is like in the mule deer range, these black deer hunters love it. They love it when someone comes in and starts focusing on those issues and, the way we do it in a non-controversial way that we focus on habitat, we stay out of some of the things that prevent good work being done. But working in this rainforest is going to be a challenge. And, and that's where Jim and, and some of the other partners come in. And, you know, people that know the landscape and the forest service and the timber industry and the natives and everyone else that know how to work up in that wet, soggy, slippery, cave infested landscape is going to be super important. Yeah, Joel, tell me a little bit about your, that was your first uh, trip to Alaska to, to see this, that kind of habitat and learn about the issues and meet the people. Yeah, it was. It was, uh, it was a great week up there in Alaska. Um, we didn't have enough time to just kind of do the stuff that everybody goes to Alaska to do. Uh, it was definitely a work trip. 
We we had what four meetings in four days in three different locations and five fundraising events in seven days all across Southeast Alaska. So there was a lot of ferry time, a lot of airplane time, and getting out there. But certainly the the highlight for me, being a biologist by training, was being able to get on the ground and see what Jim and Steve and others have been talking about. And uh, you'd think that wet climate that things would decompose more quickly than they do, but just the size of the, the slash that they put on the ground, uh, is pretty amazing to look at that and think that it was cut 20 years ago and the slash is still stacked three and four feet deep and you can't walk through it with touching the ground. And so it just kind of gives you a perspective on what the, the deer are challenged with in trying to move through that landscape, no sunlight getting to the floor. So there's no groceries there for them to eat. And it was a real eye opener, but I'm excited about the response that we had from people, um, not only just the, the rank and file hunters and others that were out there, but in addition, the, um, the, the resource professionals that are there that are excited to have some engagement there. And if we can figure out how to do this and do it on scale, I think there's some pretty exciting opportunities to uh, get some biomass off of the ground and create some economic opportunities for the local communities up there. So just another little added challenge for us in that, but a great opportunity. And Jody, it's interesting. Jim Bachel is known everywhere he goes. <laughs> I mean, literally everywhere we went. Yeah, by the beard. Um, That's not uh, that it, uncommon it, in Alaska. <laughs> what was awesome to hear, and we actually ran into your cousin too. So That's right. A, a guy walk up to me and say, do you, do you know Jody Stemler? And I was like, yeah, we work with her pretty close. Yep, yep. So. she's a silviculturist on the Tongass yeah. National Forest and lives yep. in uh, Thorn Bay. But the the thing to me that stood out is when we met with these officials, whether it be a local official up to the regional forester to the commissioner of fishing game, you know what they told us, Jody? They said, we're all in. We are here to support you. Let's do what you all want to do because that's what we want to do. And we don't often hear that. No, that's always, great. But across the board, um, that was the issue. There is an issue with the wolf listing and, and thankfully, you know, Joel and I and the organization can help with that by producing habitat and helping navigate, you know, a endangered, a possible endangered species act listing. That is something that the organization brings to the table. But I think the other thing that was different is we're not doing it because we want more hunters to flock up to Southeast Alaska to hunt. We're doing it because we care about the deer. Um, and, Right. If I ever get up there, I'll feel blessed, you know, but the fact of the matter is even if I never do, I want to do the work up there because it's what, I mean, of all the herds that we track and of all the places that we look at, you know, population numbers, that population on Prince of Wales Island is probably number one that needs help right now. And so that's really going to be driving our thinking is what can we do to help? And um, I know we got to go to break here. And, and after break, I think we should jump right back into, you know, how we're going to help and some of the exciting stuff that that is uh, happened just this year on some commitments that we got. But uh, uh, let's take a break right now uh, so we can give our supporters a chance to help us underwrite the cost of this and promote their products. And uh, we'll be back with you in a minute. Hello, fellow conservationists. Here at the Mule Deer Foundation, our ultimate mission is the preservation of mule deer, black-tailed deer, and their critical habitats. And now it's time for you to be a part of this noble cause. This year, we bring you again the ultimate giveaway, a campaign, a challenge, a celebration of our shared commitment toward mule deer and their habitats. Not only will you have a chance to win some incredible prizes, but your participation will directly contribute to our ability to deliver on our mission in the coming years. It's the ultimate giveaway for the ultimate mission. Go to muledeer.org today to learn more. All right, we're back. So we uh, we, we opened up talking about blacktail deer and, and new commitments and work going on in Alaska, but there's a lot of other stuff that's been going on, um, not to the least of which was another highly successful Western Hunting and Conservation Expo that happened in early February this year. Um, it was 
very cool on a lot of different levels. Obviously, great attendance. Um, we had a lot of uh, ancillary events as well, including a Western Big Game Migration Forum uh, and then meetings with the Forest Service and BLM and a couple of other things. Joel, Steve, why don't you tell us a little bit about what all, you know, what, what the, the MDF component of WHCE is looking like and growing into a, now? Yeah, well, Jody, it, you're right. There's a lot that's going on. And certainly, I think everybody's familiar with the Western Hunting and Conservation Expo. It's been going on for better than 15 years now. Uh, it's, I think, become the premier event, certainly in the West, if not across this country, for a conservation-related expo, uh, sports show, and everything else. Uh we were thrilled this year that uh, we finally filled up the entire floor space of the Salt Palace for the first time. Uh, so we added about 30% to the floor space. So we had a whole lot more vendors, everything else there, which drove great attendance, great engagement uh, with everyone. But more specifically with MDF, over the last couple of years, we've really started to use this as a convening spot for a lot of our partners, whether it's agency partners uh, state and federal agency partners, corporate partners and all, and really try to bring, use this big event to bring people together and talk about what we can do. Uh, it's something that Steve started years ago. We've hosted the Mule Deer Working Group there for a long time. This year, we also hosted the Western Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies Migrations Corridors uh, Working Group there a number of partner meetings, as you mentioned, but probably the highlight of that was our Western Big Game uh, Migration Summit that we had. And that was a great opportunity to bring a wide variety of partners in for, we had a closed door session for a couple of hours. We had uh, Undersecretary Robert Bonney there. We had Deputy Secretary of Interior Tommy Bodro joined us. Uh, we had several other high-ranking officials from federal agencies, state agencies, and a number of our corporate partners in there to talk about the success of Secretarial Order 3362 that was signed at the Expo five years ago uh, and kind of the lessons learned and what we can do moving forward to make sure that this success uh, gets properly funded and, and continues moving down the road. And uh, all accounts that I heard, we had great dialogue in that closed session. And then we opened it up to more of a public session to share some of this information and let people know what was going on and, and how we're going to move forward. So Steve was the architect behind a lot of that. I'm sure he's probably got something to add that I missed. Yeah. So, you know, Jody, seeing 54, 55 folks that all have a lot of badges and a lot of rank in their agency or organization or business in one room talking about a subject and not disagreeing, but really focusing on solutions and challenges was great. Um, you know, Joel mentioned uh, the two, you know, cabinet secretary folks that were there, but we also had the director of BLM, the deputy chief of the Forest Service, numerous state fish and game agency directors, um, and a lot of folks who make things happen at the highest levels of, of agency uh, and of organizations. And, you know, one of the things we came away with at Secretary Order 3362 and the work that's been done in five years has been a tremendous success. But there's still a lot more to do. Um, and we we didn't have to prod and ask too hard this year. And, and, you know, when you do these things, and I know you two have helped me do these things and done them on your own, oftentimes you got to, you know, bribe and cajole and beg folks to come. We didn't have to do that this year. We actually were starting getting worried about space leading up to the day. And every person that I talked to said we wanted to come. You, we didn't come because, you know, we felt it'd be obligated. We wanted to be here. We wanted to come listen to what y'all had to say and be part of this movement that MDF's a part of to take care of big game and habitats and, and migration corridors throughout the West. And, you know, that led right into some commitments that the Forest Service and BLM made, uh, which is really going to help the Mule Deer Foundation and our partners knock it out of the park over the next five years. And, you know, given he is the boss, I'm going to let Joel highlight what, what those commitments were. Yeah, Steve, that was really a, kind of a great way to cap off that uh, 
that summit that we had that day. As you said, we had uh, the director of BLM there, Tracy Stone Manning, and we had the deputy chief of the Forest Service, Chris French, both joined us. And and to kind of cap off that summit, they, along with myself, uh, made an announcement about continuing support for the Mule Deer Foundation. We've had longstanding partnerships with both of those agencies, uh, but we've really stepped up our game with them this year, which is, is which is a a defining moment, I think, for MDF. And that announcement was a $5 million commitment from the BLM over the next five years to help them implement work primarily around sagebrush restoration and conservation, uh, sagebrush habitat work that'll obviously benefit mule deer. And then the Forest Service Forest Service expanded their partnership with us to the tune of uh, an amazing $60 million over the next five years to help us grow some capacity to, to broaden some partnerships out there, but also to, to help them implement um, the funding that they've received from Congress to help with the, the fire crisis that's out there. Uh, but we know that that work uh, helping with, with fire and climate mitigation will have great impacts on deer. But for us also, there's another pot of money that's not as tied to the fire shed work uh, that's going to allow us to do some ecosystem restoration sort of work and really focus on migration corridors and bringing partners together to do projects that cross boundaries and are not just Forest Service or BLM, but make sure that uh, we can do the work where it needs to happen and not have to pay attention to fences. So we're really excited about that opportunity that we have to grow our conservation program. Uh, and we're going to use that to grow the rest of the organization as well to to help us uh, jump into the, the future of the organization with this kind of being the catalyst for that. It's very so just- exciting. It, it is. It was in, it was very exciting there on the floor. Um, you know, it was a, a huge, huge step up um, for the organization to be involved in. But just to explain a little bit, the MDF has been involved in some of these stewardship projects with these agencies in the past. We've done work in sagebrush areas with the Bureau of Land Management, whether it's um, conifer removal or working on cheatgrass. We have a huge program in Idaho where we've done a lot of cheatgrass work. Um and we've also done a lot in uh, with the fire service and and the the some of the thinning um, mastication of brush that fits into fire um, prevention so it fits into the wildfire restoration programs that the forest service is interested in but we also know that creates really good habitat for mule deer so that's why this is a win-win and and it's also um, it's a huge scale up but some of the numbers that you said at the very beginning of the uh, of the podcast talking about what we've accomplished over the last three years a lot of that funding is the similar it is some of these federal dollars that we've then matched and partnered up with some of the other nonprofit organizations or through other grants that we've gotten. So, so it is an enhancement. It's also going to be c- tremendously important for us to continue to build our fundraising through chapters because that helps to match and we can provide volunteers to projects and things like that. So it's, it's a huge um, kind of a, a, a growth spout up of, of the work that we've been doing. Uh, and, 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 but it's also not like this brand new stuff that, that we have no experience in. So that's what's exciting about it is we have experience, we have skill, we have a great group of habitat by that have been growing over the last few years, we're going to be adding to that group, and uh, and I, uh, you know, I see a lot of positive opportunity over the next five years. That most of those projects are going to be starting in FY twenty four. Is that correct, Steve? There's a few that are going on now. Yeah, but the- we're we're going to try to capitalize on where we're building on existing stuff to try to get some work done this year. But the bulk of of the projects that we're talking about will probably funding will come after the fiscal year, October 1st, uh, for the federal government, which will give us some time to get some extra staff on board and do some planning and coordination with the Forest Service staff, which is needed, because what we're trying to do is take our priority herds and landscapes approach, the, the identified areas that where deer or landscapes need the most help, and and do some overlap exercises with where the agencies are getting their funding from, and, and the bulk of the funding is coming from the bipartisan infrastructure law or the investment and in, uh, in jobs act. Yeah. yeah, investment and infrastructure jobs act, and the Inflation Reduction Act, which really is investing in 
things that will create durability in the natural resource world, address some climate adaptation needs, but most importantly, address those fire issues that have been really uh, affecting every part of the country over the last two decades. And so where you look at priority landscapes for fire and wildland urban interface places and even high-risk fire sheds, what we do is we come in and we we throw the, da- the data down from, you know, where deer herds are doing well or not so well, where the habitat conditions may be suboptimal, where we've had fire, drought, and other issues where we could go in and then do some work and meet multiple goals. So we meet the fire goals, the fuels reduction goals, the protection of communities and infrastructure, um, enhancement of watersheds for water infiltration, but we still then do the deer work. And so it's been about 10 years we've been pushing this priority herds and landscapes approach. So this is really making it real on the ground with dedicated funding. And it's stepped up our partnership. And, and the, probably the most thing I'm excited about is we're being asked to help guide the connectivity cross-boundary issues that we all face. How do we link up habitats? How do we deal with Uh, habitats that cross jurisdictional or administrative boundaries where the work previously would stop at the fence line, but we know deer don't and other wildlife don't. So we're going to be able to come in through, you know, our leadership and our assistance to other groups and help break down some of those administrative and jurisdictional barriers so that watersheds and landscapes can be treated entirely and we don't piecemeal this. And, and by doing so, we'll actually get more done because we plan to work with our NGO partners, with our state and federal agencies partners, regardless of what agency they work with. And, you know, as an NGO focused on these these two species, mule deer and black-tailed deer, we have the ability to do that. And so that's what our staff already does. And so we're just going to be expanding it. So we're going to go from a $6 million conservation delivery for uh, money that we raise or secure to probably 15 to 20 and a very short order. And, you know, you're leveraging that six to one, you can do the math. Um, it, it's exciting. You know, there's Congress has tasked these agencies with a huge commitment and millions of acres improved, and they're asking us for our help. So we raised our hand, said we could do this. We got, unfortunately, um, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it and what chair you're sitting in, uh, we caught our tail. Be careful what you ask for. All the all the cliches because it's been really really tough work. Because in some cases we're creating new culture, a new way of doing business that takes time, and we're trying to get this out because the windows for implementation are really short. So uh, Joel's been gracious with his patience with me, and the agency's been great to work with both of them. And the state agencies are fully embracing this. We've started engaging tribal partners and private landowners more. Um, so it really is coming together and, and I look at it as MDF is no longer just going to focus on private or public lands. You know, we're not going to look at the landscape through singular fashion anymore. We're really going to look at it as a whole. And, you know, some of the other things we've done, Jody, and you know, this is we now have some folks that are, are going to be on the private land side, the Eastern side of the range, focusing on private landowners. And- yep. And I'm going to stop you right there because I think we need to spend a little bit of time on that, but we have to take a break and listen to our sponsors again. So when we come back, yeah, let's talk about what's going on in the Great Plains because there's going to be a lot of efforts going on there. We've already got one staffer on board. Um, and then I also want to tease up a little bit uh, the fact that the MDF is going to be celebrating an anniversary this year. So let's hear from our sponsors and we'll be right back. You pursue them, you cherish them, and now it's time to protect them. This is the Mule Deer Foundation. Our mission is the conservation of mule deer, black-tailed deer, and their habitats, the heart and soul of the West. Join the herd today and help us preserve the legacy of these majestic creatures for generations to come. Your membership supports essential conservation projects, research initiatives, and educational programs that secure a future for mule deer and black-tailed deer. Our deer, our heritage, our responsibility. Don't just witness their journey. Be a part of it. Join the herd. Together, we can make a difference. Visit muledeer.org today. 
All right, we're back. Um, Steve, I cut you off, um, but that was because we needed... That never happens. No, um, actually, I'm, I'm well known for, for knowing how to stop your uh your your long talks there but um we do need we did need to take a break and now um it's partly because i know we wanted to spend a little bit more time on what's going on in the eastern part of the range because there's a lot that we need to think about a lot of people think west black-tailed deer mule deer intermountain west uh sagebrush but the great plains the eastern part of the range is tremendously important mule deer habitat and anybody who's hunted eastern montana western nebraska um you know texas yay i got to hunt my first uh, mule deer actually this year in texas there's some really nice mule deer opportunities and and big bucks in these areas so tell me a little bit more about the the great plains work um the grants that we've gotten through the national national fish and wildlife foundation yeah so um historically we have focused on public lands uh and we, you know, my expertise has been in the public land world, but we knew we were missing, as you mentioned, significant portion of the range. So we went out and try, secured some funding from the National Fish and Wildlife Foundation for the Northern Great Plains last year. And we've hired a Northern Great Plains coordinator, uh, Brendan Bora. He's in Spearfish, um, South Dakota, and he is leading our efforts to coordinate and implement projects in the Northern Great Plains portions of uh, North Dakota, South Dakota, Montana, Wyoming, and and Northern Nebraska. Um, And he's working closely with new field staff there. So it's all lining up perfectly from a coordination standpoint within MDF. But it's really uh, focused on those private landowners who are in key positions. And a lot of the work is the same, fencing work, uh, rangeland and grassland restoration work, enhancement work, riparian work, um, but it's just doing it with with folks that uh, actually can tell us to go ahead and do it a lot quicker than the federal agencies can. Um, and it's also a way that we can start using Farm Bill conservation funding for big game, which has been something that a lot of groups, including MDF, has struggled with through the years. There's been a lot of focus on um, waterfowl and, and upland birds um, and migratory birds and other things, but it's been, you know, somewhat of a stretch to find that nexus. So NIFWIF, uh, through their generosity um, and our working with us, um, gave us a grant that we can go out and start this. And then this year, um, we received another grant for the Southern Great Plains, and we're going through the the paperwork part of that now. We'll, a, a job description will be hitting the street soon. So we're going to have the whole Great Plains covered uh, from Texas to North Dakota, from the front, you know, front range of the Rockies, the whole way down to the Guadalupe Mountains and in, in, uh, in Texas and New Mexico. And what that's going to do is it's going to open up a ton of opportunities um, and and also we're going to learn a lot from the research side. You know, when you look at the migration work that's been done, it's been focused on long distance migrations um, and these animals that have to move because they get really hard winters. We see movements, maybe not so much in the plain states. And so being able to figure out where those are and then do the targeted habitat work or conservation activities to either make landscapes more permeable improve conditions, provide more access is, is really exciting. And um, we're going to rely a lot on our partners in the bird, waterfowl, private land world to help us figure out how to do that. And, and you know, the interest to date has been tremendous. We've only been at this six months, but we're really seeing a lot of uh, enthusiasm from private landowners and from state federal agencies to, to help us be successful. So... I think that's uh, – I've said enough. I'll turn it over to Joel on that. Sorry. Yeah, I think, Steve, I think you, you described it really well. I guess what I would say is some of this started from some very successful work we were doing on our own in North Dakota and working with some private landowners uh, in western North Dakota on some fencing work and all, which kind of inspired the idea to go bigger on this. Uh, but you spend a lot of time focusing on on the Plain States, which is obviously where the bulk of this private land is. But what we learn there is going to be really important to parlay across the Intermountain West because a lot of the critical winter range 
that we deal with in, in in that part of the world ends up on private land as well. And so figuring out how we can help those private landowners uh, navigate in the farm bill programs and uh, help get them some funding to do some good work for those wintering herds will be really important. Yeah, and that's actually a good uh, g- good point. Uh, in uh, middle of last year, uh, actually kind of probably about early summer, the Natural uh, Natural Resource Conservation Service uh, announced that they were doing some pilot project work in Wyoming to work with private landowners using some of the uh, farm bill dollars for that. Um, some grazing work, uh, some fencing, and that is a great opportunity and a potential to, to expand that to other states. So, so again, it's a new way. And we know, um, as you said, Undersecretary Robert Bonney with the U.S. Department of Agriculture was at the, um, the Big Game Migrations Summit that we hosted. And they're very enthusiastic about these types of opportunities to work. And, and NRCS is a, is a big player and has a lot of dollars um, that they can put forward into these programs. Um, so being able to work on that, being able to work on the upcoming coming reauthorization of the farm bill um, because it is a farm bill reauthorization year. Um, That happens every five years. The last one happened in 2018. Um, There was uh, dollars that were able to be used for rangelands, for cheatgrass, for um, the sage grouse initiative that was funded through that. And a lot of that work, obviously mule deer overlap, sage grass range pretty extensively. So it's it's a new and growing opportunity. uh, And and I think that MDF is really poised to use utilize that to help improve uh, mule deer range, mule deer habitat, and also obviously the other their species that utilize these private lands. Well, it's nice to get some staff that knows knows this, how to navigate that private lands world too, because I've spent my career in public lands, 32 years working on public lands and public resources. And although the habitat and the work is similar, the way you approach it is is can be significantly different when you're dealing with private landowners. And um, it's exciting to have some folks that are going to be leading that effort for us. And, you know, I, I hope, I mean, I mean, I think this is the first time in our history that we can say we have the whole range of mule deer and blacktail deer covered with some staffer. Um, and that's exciting too, because our grassroots are growing commensurately with our habitat work and our conservation work. So we hope to do more, raise more, put it back on the ground, get more people involved, more members, more corporate sponsors, more partners across the board. And if you've got this laundry list of places you work, you can pretty much meet everyone's need. Yeah, for sure. And I, I actually, for uh, some of my other folks that I work with, have done a lot of private lands and farm bill related work. And yes, it, it is a different approach when you're dealing with private landowners. Um, this is this is their legacy. This is their property, and um, and and they're as passionate about it often as as we are from the perspective of, of wildlife. Um, and so, and you know, we're highly dependent on these private lands for ensuring that wildlife has the winter range that has, you know, good grazing opportunities. So, so being able to help farmers and ranchers stay on the landscape, making it profitable for them is super important. Um, and so, you know, if, if they can do good wildlife work at the same time that they're, you know, improving their operations, it's a win-win for sure. Yeah. So a good example is that's fencing, you know, we have fencing uh, every year. I think we did 70 or 71 miles last year, remover modification, and we've got a few larger pneumatic fence rollers. I think you've both seen them in operation. Um, we have been just approached from every angle to do more of that. And so uh, with this private lands focus, we are investing in more infrastructure, meaning more wire winders and fence pullers that we can use ourselves, loan out, give to volunteers so that we can get more and more done. And, and, you know, that probably wouldn't have happened without that private land nexus because, it, you know, doing anything on federal agencies, you've got National Environmental Policy Act and other authorizations that you have to do. But on federal lands, we can just go ask for permission and if say, do it, do it. And, you know, it's one thing is we're also bringing the energy industry in, you know, the oil and gas folks, the, the pipeline folks who, you know, they're not doing it because they want us to greenwash what they do on the landscape. They're doing it because they live and they care and they want to see better things for mule deer and wildlife out there too. So uh, it has created opportunity that at least I didn't expect three years ago and, I, and I'm grateful for it. 
For sure. All right. Need to pivot again because uh, we're, we're taking up a lot of these folks' time. But um, 35 years of the Mule Deer Foundation? Wow. It's, it's our 35th anniversary. What's the grand plans for, for how we're going to celebrate? It's going to be a big blowout, right? It's one of those that ends in zero or five. So we we are we are celebrating for sure. No, it it really is a, a pretty incredible accomplishment that uh, that and hard to believe in some ways that this organization has been around for thirty five years. Uh, one of the things that's been shared with me and probably pretty uncommon in our world is that our mission has been the same since day one. And we have just completed going through a strategic planning exercise and widely recognized as a mission statement that is solid, as solid today as it was previously. So, so that's great. I just wanted to throw that in there. But for the 35th anniversary, uh, for those that were at our expo, they got a little bit of a teaser of this. Um, we, we teased a film that we're working on. And so that's one of the things that we're going to take this opportunity for a 10 to 12 minute film to talk about the, the history of Mule Deer Foundation, how it started, where we've been, uh, what we've done, what we've accomplished. But really more importantly, it'll wrap up and set the stage for the next 35 years. And so that's really the way we've approached the 35th anniversary is well, we definitely want to celebrate uh, what has been accomplished through this tremendous organization. But we also want to understand, make sure everybody understands this isn't the end, it's the beginning. And we're looking forward to the next 35 years. And so we've got this film. We'll be premiering that on July 29th, which is uh, actually the day after our official anniversary date. But it's a Saturday, so we figured more people would be able to participate. Uh, we have partnered with Rockman Packs up in um, southeastern Idaho, and we will be having a big celebration there in conjunction with their Rockman games that uh, that they're putting on on that Friday and Saturday, the 28th and 29th. Uh, it'll be a, a fundraiser for MDF. It'll be a good time for the archery shooters in the area. Um, and then on, on Saturday night, we'll have some specific fundraising and celebrations around Mule Deer Foundation. And we'll, we will premiere that film there. Uh, but we'll also be premiering it across uh, the range of our volunteers. And we've asked our staff and our volunteers to think about how they can celebrate this by having events out there on the landscape, habitat-related events or garbage cleanups, however they want to engage the community to help do something for Mule Deer and celebrate that. And then the goal is that uh, everybody will go back to their favorite watering hole or somebody's backyard barbecue or some other big venue, and we will share the premiere of that. Our goal is to have 100 different watch parties going on on that Saturday evening uh, where people get to, to view this film and uh, learn a little bit more about MDF and, and celebrate the accomplishments that we've had and, and think about the future going forward. That sounds really exciting. I definitely, um, you know, we, we've had, we've, we've celebrated anniversaries along the way, but I, I feel like organizationally so much is going on that this particular anniversary is well-timed with kind of the next launch and the next jumping off point for the organization to really kind of step into the the future. Um, so it, it's exciting and, and definitely keep your eye on the website and on our social media pages as we, we start to send out more information about what those events are going to look like and, and how you can get involved. All right, we need to take one more break. Um, but when we come back, I'd like to wrap up, uh, talk about just any other things that the organization has going on, maybe talk about uh, your own personal hunting experiences this year. And then uh, again, uh, you know, overview of what people can look for and, and need to be involved with, with and opportunities coming down the pike. So another short break to hear from our supporters and we'll be back in a minute. Archery enthusiasts and deer conservationists alike, the Mule Deer Foundation is calling for you. We're thrilled to invite you to our 35th anniversary celebration at the Rockman Games on July 28th and 29th. Immerse yourself into two days of unparalleled archery action set amidst the breathtaking landscape of Kelly Canyon Ski Resort in Ryrie, Idaho. The stakes are higher, the targets are tougher, and the cause more crucial than ever. We're standing together for mule deer, black-tailed deer in their habitats, and we need your support. Join us not only for the thrill of competition, but for the heartwarming camaraderie of those who cherish our mission. Remember, when you're talking mule deer, 
you're speaking the language of conservation. So let's celebrate, conserve, and champion our deer together at the Rockman Games. The Mule Deer Foundation, 35 years of making an impact. We'll see you at the Games. Yeah, uh, welcome back. And, you know, when we left, we were talking about our 35th anniversary. Um, Just to close the loop on that, you know, there's going to be some really interesting giveaways associated with that and a million dollar shot at the the Rockman Games. So if you're out there, you know, Google Rockman Games or go to our website. But, you know, one thing we missed when we talked about Expo, Joel, uh, was the two records that we set. Um, <laughs> How can we forget? To, that, that seemed to generate the news cycle for quite a while. And, you know, there's been a lot of misinformation out there about conservation tags, particularly these two tags, who benefits, what we use it for, and everything else. So why don't you, Joel, fill us in on those two tags and, and you know, set the record straight for our listeners. Yeah, Steve, th- thanks for bringing us back to that. I do think it's important that we talk about it. You know, we talked about Expo is really a record setter and in, in all aspects and pretty unbelievable um, the records that were set with a couple of tags. On our Friday night auction, the Antelope Island tag here in Utah was sold. That had been the, pretty much That's the high That's a tag, correct? Yeah, yeah the mule, deer mule, yeah, mule deer tag on uh, on Antelope Island, which is a state park here just outside of Salt Lake City. It's been highly coveted for a long time. It's been amongst the the highest dollar seller for a long time. But we set a record on that on Friday night and sold that tag for a, a half million dollars, which was pretty amazing. Um, every year when this happens, there's a narrative that gets out there that MDF. Uh, is raking in a whole bunch of money on off of these. And the deal with that one is we're proud to be able to offer this at our auction. Uh, we keep about 10% of that to help cover the expenses of promoting it and, and getting it sold. And, and there's some administrative work that goes on on our end and making sure we've got all the information from, from the buyer and connecting them with the state. But 90% of that money goes back to the state agency. In this case, it goes back to the state parks so that they can further mule deer management uh, specifically on Antelope Island with this. And so it's. So, so, so I'm just going to jump in here. So we sold this Friday. And at that point in time, that eclipsed the Montana statewide bighorn tag, which had previously held the record for. A single species tag auction, correct? Yes, that's correct. Twenty-four How long hours did that later. Last? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, twenty-four hours later uh, at our Saturday night event, the the final auction item, which has been a pretty popular one uh, the last couple of years, is the Arizona statewide mule deer tag. Um, I think that was the big seller last year. Uh, it blew it out of the water. I think, 700 I, think it was, I was going to say, I think it was like 400,000 last year, right? I think something, yeah. four, yeah, 410, was, something like that. Yeah, 410, I think it was. Yeah. Yep. Okay. This year it was $725,000 that was generated for mule deer conservation in the state of Arizona. 100% of that goes back to the state that's, of Arizona for their Habitat a, Partnership Committee. That yep. is exactly right. 100% of that funding goes back to the state of Arizona. And so, again, we are proud to be a partner with the state of Arizona in this and giving them a venue that has been very successful the last few years to generate a lot of money for mule deer management in that state. Um, but we it does not come we, back to us. Yeah, yeah. We we have uh, <laughs> have done a lot of work in Arizona. We have a couple of staff people that have uh, worked down there, and um, Todd Buck now working on the Kaibab Plateau. So. We work with the state agency um, on projects. We bring in some of our funding. The, some of those forest service uh, programs there can match this Habitat Partnership Committee funding for projects, leveraging it. That and it, it, it it creates an opportunity to do much larger scale projects, and it's those big projects that really are making a difference on the ground for these deer. That's exactly right. So I was sitting next to Jim Heffelfinger when that went through. Uh, and, and Jim you know, Heffelfinger is. Uh, Jim is the uh, uh, the leader of the Waffle Mule Deer Working Group, and I think he's the I don't know if he's statewide or regional science coordinator, but he's Mister Mule Deer uh, as he's been yep. on this show. We've many had times. him on a number of times, but just a reminder. Um, yep. And he works for Arizona he, Game yeah, and Fish. Arizona yeah. Game and Fish is wildlife science coordinator. Yep. 
So I just looked over him and I said, you're welcome. And he, was, <laughs> he couldn't talk because Joel was sitting next to me on another table and he was a giddy. And I have that actually on my phone. So it's yeah, like, I'm sure you know. it'll probably show up here in a few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> but it was um, so we get accused all the time, uh, as many other groups do, of using these conservation tags to basically swindle the public out of their hard earned dollars. And, you know, I am a convert. I've said it on this show. I don't think we would raise that money if we didn't have these opportunities. But. You know, we did a little analysis, Joe, and I think you were involved in it is, you know, how much does MDF keep with all the tags that we sell throughout the year? And it's about 10%. On average, it's about 10%. On average. And that includes 100% give back. And I think in, in some cases, we go as high as 20% That's right. on some of the ones that, that, that don't generate the money that we've just talked about, but actually cause, we have to do a lot more to sell them. Uh and for years, I mean, so a lot of the tags we got in Wyoming because the issues were so we were, were doing so much, we were given 100 percent back there. So, you know, we don't we can't work for free. No organization can work for free. But MDF has got a tr- great track record of not using these tags to put in our pocketbooks. We are we are giving back as much as we can. And I think, you know, we cannot reemphasize that there are a lot of folks out there that don't think that. And, you know. Over the course of this year, through this forum and other things, we're going to keep hitting on that because we are here to generate funding and do the best job we can for for mule deer, blacktail deer, and their habitats. And as you know, Joel, because you you get briefed by me all the time, habitat work is expensive as all get out, and it's getting worse. Yes, it is. So you know, uh, for those listeners out there, we encourage you to give us a call. Do some investigation. Just don't believe everything you read or hear. But, you know, we're extremely proud of this. We're not going to shy away from it. And Joel and I and every other staffer is there to, you know, visit with you and talk about this stuff because we're not going to shy away from it. Yeah. And and look, in the state of Utah specifically, uh, which is actually a a leader in this in terms of the number of tags that they offer, uh, both through the 200 permits that anybody can apply for at our expo uh, at five dollars a pop and uh, great opportunities there to the conservation permits that are used at expo and other fundraising banquets across the, the country. We go through an annual audit by the state of Utah every year on all of those accounts to so that they know and the public knows how much is generated, where that money's going, what it's being spent on. Uh, and we are happy to share all of that information as well, uh, just to help prove it up that this is not benefiting us, but it goes to do great things. And Utah has been able to do a tremendous uh, number of different things through the Watershed Restoration Initiative, with a lot of funding from this. And we talked about it on the past here, uh, but we participated in a, a land acquisition of about 10,000 acres in northern Utah last year. And the money that was generated from these conservation tags was a lion's share of the contribution, the million dollar contribution that we made to that acquisition. So a lot of good happens from this. And uh, and and we also um, have are very involved in the Watershed Restoration Initiative. And a lot of that funding goes into that. And just yep. in the last few weeks, Utah uh, met with the stakeholders, including MDF that were involved in that. And MDF committed, what was it, $1.8 million to uh, project? around the state as well using those dollars yeah yeah so uh so again you know money is getting back on the ground and and utah truly is a leader in terms of some of their larger scale habitat restoration work and a lot of it is funded because of these dollars that that are coming in to be honest i mean i can't afford a seven hundred twenty five thousand dollar tag i can't afford a ten thousand dollar tag it's not going to happen for me personally but boy am i glad somebody's willing to put that money up um and to know that these five dollar tags where i could have a potential to do that or still have an opportunity to get one that i put in um you know using preference points we're not giving all the tags away this way these are just a handful a small number of the, the overall tags that are going out um you know the general public still has their opportunity. Um, but man, those dollars make a huge, huge impact on the ground. Well, and we're not the only group doing it. You know, it's not like we invented this system. 
we're taking advantage of it because it's a way to generate funds for mule deer and the mission of the MDF. But, you know, a lot of the other mainstream groups are doing it too. So we seem to get singled out, but you know, that's okay. We're not hiding. Um, we're, we're more than willing to stand up behind what we do, regardless of, of who makes accusations. And, you know, we're going to try to keep doing what we do. And, you know, I think it's proven we wouldn't get the commitment from the federal agencies the way we have and from partnerships at landowners and, and everything else, if we weren't doing good stuff and we weren't, you know, being open and honest with what we do with our funding. So um, we push that because, you know, every conservation group out there gets accused of, you know, you're not doing my, you know, my money. I want to go to the ground. Well, you can't work for free and things are expensive. And, you know, if we didn't learn anything, inflation, uh, over the last three years is, you know, a thousand dollar an acre project is now 15 to $1,800 an acre. And there's not as many contractors to do it. So, um, bear with us, have patience and believe in us. That's all I have to say. Yeah, that's, that's a, 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 an important point too. And, but we're up almost up to an hour. Do we have any other things that we didn't touch on on this one that we can't cover in a future episode? Is there any closing thoughts? Well, you got your first mule deer. I want to hear more about that. But, you know, that was a pretty awesome experience from what it looked like. It was an amazing experience. I had the opportunity um, because of the work that I do with Mule Deer Foundations Magazine to go um, with our board member, John Zinnel, who's with Federal Premium Ammunition, down to um, Far southwest Texas. Um, we were an hour and a half south of Marfa, um, just north of Big Bend State Park, um, and hunt uh, for my very first mule deer. Uh, I've never had a mule deer tag. I've, I've supported my daughter on her first. I've gone on lots of scouting missions, but I've never held a tag. I've kind of let my daughter and my husband uh, run that show. So yeah, it was it was an incredible experience. I um, lots of highs and lows, uh, but it was it was incredible. And I will say we were using Federal's terminal ascent bullets, and um, and it 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 did its job. And my buck um, was uh, I had to hike in a mile to hike him out of that canyon and uh, pack him out of that canyon. But one shot down, um, which makes me really really happy because I don't I don't I don't like to. I'm still not 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 comfortable. Nobody is see an animal suffer. So, um, so yeah, it was, uh, it's also amazing country down there. Um, you know, I, I haven't, I have not spent that much time in that big bend country and, and the canyons, they had had a, a decent rain year in monsoonal rain, um, after years of drought. So it was lots of flowers, lots of grass. Um, very cool, very cool place to be. So, uh, I have a story going to be in, I think it's the Q3 magazine. Um, it's kind of a, uh, more like a nature notebook uh, that's going to be illustrated by um, a, a friend of Mule Deer Foundation. And I'm pretty excited to see that in the magazine. So a little bit more about that. And yes, um, I did end up driving home from El Paso, Texas, uh, two days before Christmas because my flight was canceled and I did not want to spoil the meat. Um, that was the most important thing for me to bring back. And I was afraid that not that if I tried any other options, that meat would get stuck in an airplane somewhere in Dallas, Texas. And I was not having that. So I made the drive home instead so I could get home in time for Christmas. Well, we really look forward to reading that, Jody. You know, you've, you've won a lot of awards for your writing. And I think this will be another one that's probably going to be worthy of it. And, um, you know, for me, I shot an elk last year with my bow. I didn't even get out deer hunting. So uh, there was a lot going on. The freezer was full, so I uh, I decided to defer on the deer hunt. So, but it was an exciting elk hunt. You know, that's sort of what I focus on first thing in the fall. So, how about you, Joel? Well, I think people that have been listening know I've been pretty lucky with the draw over the last <laughs> my first couple of years out here. So, I I had a great hunt with some good partners in uh, Montana for a mule deer. But the highlight of my fall actually ties back to the Blacktail uh, Summit that we were talking about earlier, and uh, was invited by by Bruce from Loophole to come out and experience blacktail hunting and and get uh, boots on the ground in that world around Roseburg, Oregon, and uh, had the opportunity to spend a few days out there checking things out and was fortunate enough to harvest a, a really nice uh, Oregon blacktail. So looking forward to getting that back and seeing it on the wall. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been interesting, Joel, to, had it not been so foggy, what you would have seen. <laughs> right. Foggy and smoky. It was pretty rough. Yeah. Yeah. But it was well, a great hunt. Some- 
banner blue skies the entire time I was in Texas. Uh, so maybe, maybe you need to go to a different part of mule deer country next year. So the the only thing I will mention, and I think it's probably going to deserve its own topic, is we had a a pretty harsh winter in parts of uh, we sure did of the Rocky Mountain West. Rocky Mountain West, Um, and so that's going to affect our deer herds. And you know, one of the things we've been advocating for is, even though it's May, um, some of those deer are still suffering. So if we can do everything we can, whether it be you know antler hunting or recreating or anything else, you know, give those animals a little bit more time to fatten up, get their feet underneath them, have their fawns and, you know, start to repopulate those animals that we lost over the winter. But, you know, it's, it's not unusual to lose animals and it's not unusual to have winters like we have. We just haven't had one in a while. So, you know, be respectful out there. And, you know, we, we had a campaign recently, if there's snow, don't go. There's still quite a bit of snow in a lot of places right now in May. And so, let those animals um, recover and we'll have more for the future. Yep. No, and I think that's that, that probably does. I think we probably are going to need to get a biologist on from some of the states and let us know what they're seeing on the ground after they've had a chance to get out there because it was it was not unusual, but um, a lot of sl- snow in the lower elevations where these animals winter, which was, um, you know, so, so they came down to the places where they thought they could get away from it and got hammered down there this year. So I know all about that. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've had a whole lot of snow yourself here. <laughs> yeah, I'm ready for a year off, so. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, I think this was a a great bring it back the talking mule deer podcast uh it's been a while i've i've, I've missed it and looking forward to having a lot more conversations because it's a great way for us to be able to tell the story of the organization and get people caught up in an easier user-friendly manner so unless there's any other closing thoughts i'm gonna call this one a wrap and thank this, you joel thank you jody yeah thanks joel this is jody stemler and i'm steve belinda and thank you for talking mule deer Thanks for talking Mule Deer with Steve Belinda and Jody Stemmler. The Mule Deer Foundation is the only conservation group in North America dedicated to restoring, improving, and protecting mule deer and black-tailed deer and their habitat. MDF is a strong voice for hunters in access, wildlife management, and conservation policy issues. To find out more, visit www.muledeer.org and stay tuned for the next episode of Talking Mule Deer.